0: Good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, coming to you from the Coming Home Network International, but you're hearing us over EWTN radio. Thank you for joining us today. St. Jerome said, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. And so one of the goals for this program is to take some time to invite guests to discuss some of their favorite scriptures, uh, particularly scriptures that help them grow in their Uh, intimacy with our Lord Jesus and his church. And particularly on this program, we talk a lot about the necessity of interpreting Scripture through the eyes of the teacher through which we receive Scripture, and that is the church guided by the Holy Spirit. And for many of us on this program, it was through the study of Scripture that we discovered the beauty of the church I recently uh, noticed on the internet that somebody was critiquing me because I seemed to talk too much about conversion to the Catholic Church and not a, enough about conversion to Christ. I, I found that puzzling because I can't imagine my not talking about the need to be converted to our Lord Jesus. But, but if there's an emphasis that I make in terms of the necessity of being converted to the church, it's because... What it means to be fully converted to our Lord Jesus Christ is to be converted to the church that he established, through which we have our intimacy with him and with each other through the Holy Spirit. This modern heresy that involves Jesus and me, the intimacy of Jesus and me without the necessity of the church or the idea that a church is not necessary, is indeed a modern heresy. It's radically different than we see in the development in early days of the jesus to his apostles to their successors and the growth of the church many churches but one church united you see that in early church fathers many individual home churches churches in different towns guided by elders or a bishop if it was large enough but all yet united as one church the idea of of all these denominational ideas is brand new and that is what sets the stage for our Deep in Scripture program. We believe in interpreting Scripture and loving this wonderful word that our Lord has given us, but through the eyes of the teacher through which we've received his word. And our guest today is a guest that joined me already on the Journey Home program, Matt Swaim. If you would like to know more of Matt's journey, you can go to EWTN.com and you can find the archive file for the journey home program. Matt works at Sacred Heart Radio in Cincinnati, Ohio. So I'm bringing a professional to this uh, radio program. He has to put up with this amateur for about an hour. Matt is the producer of the Sunrise Morning Show, a nationally syndicated program on EWTM Global Catholic Radio Network. He holds a BS degree in media communications from Asbury College. And that should give some of you informed listeners uh, a key to that Matt's journey came from the Methodist background into the Catholic Church. He was received into the Catholic Church at Easter Vigil of 2005. His first book was entitled The Eucharist and the Rosary. It was released in spring 2010 by Liguori Publications. His next book, Prayer in the Digital Age, is slated for a spring 2011 Liguori release. And he's also contributing to a yearly devotional entitled Tending the Temple with Dr. Kevin Vost, Peggy Bowes, and others. Both have, have appeared on this program. Um, and the, this book uses the lives of the saints as models of spiritual and physical fitness. He and his wife, Colleen, reside in Cincinnati, Ohio. If you'd... Again, let me remind you that he appeared on the Journey Home program. So if you'd like to hear the full story, go to EWTN.com and you can hear all the details of his journey. He chose a couple of scriptures for discussion today. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 24, and then Luke 24, 30 through 32. I'm just going to read the first passage, John 1, and then later as we move on into our discussions of the other passages, we'll present those to you. John 1, 1 through 4 is very familiar, of course, as the opening uh, passage to the wonderful gospel of John. We see the parallels to Genesis 1. But listen to this as we hear, as I read the words, we hear the witness of the great apostle John maybe the struggle of putting in the words, the beautiful relationship he had with our Lord Jesus and recognizing his glory. So John wrote, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com.
1: If you enjoy the Journey Home television program on EWTN, you'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Gorday's book, Journey's Home. Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow Him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Grady's book, Journey's Home, simply visit our website at www.chresources.com or call us toll free at 1-800-664-5110.
0: Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grody, joined today by Matt Swaim. Hello, Matt.
2: Hey, Marcus. Great to be with you again.
0: It's good to uh, have you join us uh, over the years this morning. Um, Matt, why don't you, again, remind the audience about your particular program that you do regularly on uh, Sacred Heart Radio.
2: Sure. Uh, listeners who get up uh, early enough in the morning probably catch us on their EWT and affiliate on the Sunrise Morning Show. We go from six a.m. to eight a.m. Eastern on Monday through Friday and have been doing so for uh, uh, almost 3 years now. <laughs> and uh it's uh, which is hard to believe for me. Uh, but you know, we cover all sorts of things, the news of the day, reflections on the saints, uh, readings, current events, you name it, we've covered it at one point or another, and it's uh, the whole idea is that it's supposed to be a better way to start your day rather than with uh, kind of the doom and gloom and making you mad at the world in the morning, uh, starting it off <laughs> with a Christ-like attitude, and uh, that's not even easy for us, and we're in the business, and so we hope that many people get a lot out of it.
0: Well, the the difficult. Thing about following the gospel is that uh, our Lord Jesus emphasized in His Sermon on the Mount that we were not to have anxiety about tomorrow. Right, today's got enough problems for the day, He said. And so much of the news in the regular news media, um, it, it's it it does focus often on the now. But it often focuses on a disjointed understanding of the big picture, mm-hmm. and yeah. you know, so many news items hit us now, and all of a sudden, our whole world shifts to whatever item they raise to the top of the of the heap uh, and discern. Therefore, this is the most important thing, and then everybody's life is guided by that. And, and And what's sad is often the news media, even the way that particular topic is portrayed, might be falsely portrayed. And so we have thousands of people's lives misguided in their priority systems.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and the squeakiest wheel always gets the oil. And uh, as uh, the confusion between what's urgent and what's important, uh, you know, progresses, you know, because of the noise that comes in, unless you have some sort of an anchor, some sort of rock, some sort of perspective, on eternity, you're liable to think that yesterday the most important thing in the world was, you know, an earthquake in Japan, and today the most important thing in the world is whatever Charlie Sheen's up to. Yeah. There is no way <laughs> to decipher it otherwise, because, you know, in, a, in an environment like that, in a news cycle that, you're just forced to respond to the flashiest piece of news going on. Thank God for yeah. eternal hope <laughs> oh, in the midst man. of all
0: of it. I, I grew up listening to the old Bill Cosby records um, mm-hmm. and uh, of course a lot of viewers, I mean listeners don't even know what records are anymore, but uh, uh, I remember one particular skit by Bill, Crosby, Bill Cosby about the chicken heart that ate New York City and <laughs> and it was a great skit, just great, 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 but he was listening to the radio. You know, and he was home alone and he was listening to the old classic radio and about the chicken heart and it scared the cement out of him. And he was spreading jello all over the house to protect himself from the monsters <laughs> and his dad came in and slipped and, and there was all the screaming and you know, he was scared, scared and then the dad said, Just turn the radio off. And as soon as he clicked the radio off, everything was fine. Mm-hmm. and i remember that because you know not that i want people to turn the radio off but at least if you got it turned on you choose what you should listen to otherwise you can be your mind can be fed with such anxiety ridden ideas and ideals that you can feel hopeless until you turn that channel off and turn yeah. something on that's uplifting
2: yeah, I wrote a whole book about that just now. That's uh, Prayer in the Digital Age, which you mentioned at the beginning of this program, is all about that and taking a look at you know what the doctors of the Church have had to say about, you know, do not worry about tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, tomorrow's got enough t- trouble of its own. You know, what about right this second? Where is God right now? <laughs> um, you know, this, this Ignatius of Loyola's big thing is, you know, where is God and what is going on right now? Um, because he's the he's the point of reference, uh, not my own anxiety or fear. Yeah.
0: Well, in the uh, the bio that I read, uh, has it come out yet? Your new book?
2: It just came out. Just came out. So uh, we're we're excited, uh, and the the first reviews are, are very positive And it's Good. certainly something that uh, was a topic that was close to my heart. So I'm looking forward to hearing how people respond to this. Because I don't know about you, but. You know, you don't even have to have a computer to be sucked up into the media cycle, uh, and, and it's good to, good to have an empowerment, uh, a sense of, uh, you know, that you're not helpless when it comes to responding to, to the secular media.
0: Oh. Well, I'm, uh, you know, I'm glad you did that work, because there are people today that can't even imagine, uh, you know, living our lives without uh, a computer or an iPhone or an iPad, and, and, or, um, but to turn it off uh, is, is difficult because we feel like we're robbing ourselves of necessary information, mm-hmm. necessary connection to the world out there. We can't imagine not doing that anymore course where i live here i live i'm surrounded by amish <laughs> <laughs>
2: how nice that must
0: be sometimes well, i'm not connected with that much i see them on their, their horse and buggies but they can't even imagine life that way but that's giving us a little bit of field of of our texts for today though i wanted to make sure the audience knows where you're coming from and where they might i'm assuming your books are available in the usual spots on the internet
2: it, Uh, anywhere uh, fine Catholic books are sold and uh, I always encourage local bookstores and Amazon as well.
0: Okay, great. Matt, you chose a couple scriptures here, and I'm wondering if your journey from Asbury College into the Catholic Church changed your way of understanding scripture.
2: Oh, certainly. Certainly. Um, There's one question that I never asked myself until you know, probably I was uh, I guess getting ready to graduate from college Uh, and the question was this and I I, I felt so dumb for never asking this before Uh, (laughs) the question was who has the authority to interpret scripture (laughs) I can't believe I never asked myself that question until I was probably 22 years old Mm -hmm. as steeped in scripture as I was Uh, and it it seems so elementary but you'd be shocked at how many people just don't ask that who has the authority to interpret scripture Uh, what I would have said is the Holy Spirit speaking to the individual believer. And that sounds awfully nice when I say it to you, but if you're ever sitting in a room full of people who believe that, and you come on a particular passage, you know, fisticuffs might ensue if you're not (laughs) careful. (laughs) Uh, If you're familiar with the way that the Restoration Movement founded, and I'm not part of that tradition, but the Stone Campbell Movement that gave us the Churches of Christ, Mm -hmm. uh, they were so uh, just... I guess distressed, uh, as many of us are now, all the divisions in the Church, and so they thought to themselves, let's get together and have the Bible be our rule of faith, Um, not the workings of man, not these opinions, not these, uh, you know, political regimes masquerading as as, as spiritual uh, purveyors. Let's just go under the Bible itself. Uh, I mean... And that was a beautiful idea, I think, but, you know, go back in history and look, and see how long they were able to keep together as one piece before that split up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The idea that if you believe that the Holy Spirit speaking to the individual believer uh, is where authority to interpret Scripture comes from, then the only way to believe that is to believe that the Holy Spirit is the author of confusion and division. And I can't believe that. (laughs) If God is not the author of evil and confusion and division among his people are the opposite of what Jesus prayed for in the Garden of Gethsemane, then the Holy Spirit is thwarting Jesus' plans. And we know that's not true. We know that authority to interpret Scripture has to come from something other than my gut. (laughs) (laughs) Because my gut is a confused thing. Uh, and so I started to try and figure out, well, let's get back to the beginning, and let's just do it like they did in the beginning, um, before everything went crazy, sort of like the Stone Campbell Restorationists did. Um, except I had this confused idea, and many of my um, you know, non-Catholic Christian brothers and sisters have this idea as well, that in the beginning it was you know, groups meeting in homes, studying the Word of God, uh, and sharing together the message of the Gospel. And then I, you know, made the same discovery that so many others Mm -hmm. who you've had on your program uh, have made that I almost hesitate to say it because it sounds like a broken record on this program. (laughs) And that is that I found the Catholic Church, and I was scandalized. (laughs) Uh, I found sacraments. Um, I found a hierarchy. I found all these things that I thought didn't come up until after Constantine ruined the whole thing, or or so I thought. And so I started to think... These guys were the closest ones to the situation. Maybe when it comes to understanding the scriptures, I ought to start from the way that the people who were, you know, a, a grandson is going to understand what his grandfather means a lot more than a great 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 grandson is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, started to think: Who are these people who knew the apostles, and who are the people that knew them? Maybe they know what all this means.
0: Well, I, I'm with you on this, as you know. Uh, uh, in your involvement with my program, but uh, in the same vein, I don't think it even crossed my mind to ask the question where this Bible came from until I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And my guess is you're being brought up You, you when we were young, where does this Bible come from? Oh, well, my dad gave it to me. I mean, that's about where we, that's all we thought about, didn't think about it. Did. Was it a bunch of books? Uh, were there many books out of which the present canon of Scripture was narrowed down? And who had the authority to do that? And and, and I never crossed my mind that just the issue of the Trinity was a battle mm-hmm. amongst early believers, uh, some who held the, the traditional Orthodox view, others that were fighting against it because of their individual interpretation of Scripture. Mm-hmm. I mean it was a sola scriptura problem from the beginning. Yeah. As individuals they thought they had the authority and I I mean you know, that really is the issue. So I, I know Matt that was one of the issues that brought you into the church is that one of the issues also that helped you choose the scriptures we're going to look out to look at today.
2: Absolutely. And uh, you read at the top of the program John chapter 1 the prologue to John's gospel which is one of the most If you ever doubt that the Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God, go reread, you know, the first few verses of John, Chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Um, He was with God in the beginning. Uh, One of the things that just never occurred to me um, until very late in the game was the eternity of the Trinity. I knew God was eternal. And if you go back and read in Genesis 1... Um, that the spirit of god is hovering over the water with the waters um, you know the holy spirit is eternal but it what's hard for me to uh, or what was always hard for me to envision is how jesus was eternal before he became incarnate <laughs> and this is uh, john john articulates it perfectly the word was with god the word was god through him all things were made um so the word is how god creates uh and, and understanding that where is the first place we see Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, in the Bible? It is when God says, let there be light. Because the Word is God's creative action. It's how He it becomes present. It's how, it, it's, it's how he communicates. Um, it's who he is. Uh, the Word was God. Um, and I, I'm trying to think of the first time, maybe the first verse, Uh, that I saw with new eyes after after understanding (laughs) Jesus as the Word of God. Um, Because when I think of the Word of God, I think of the Scripture. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and I may have been alone in this, uh, but when I would have talked about the Word being with God and the Word being God, I would not necessarily have thought Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the Old Testament. But when you hear the words of the angel Gabriel to Mary and you hear her response, Um, that the Holy Spirit has overshadowed her. Um, What does she say? She says, Be it done unto me according to your word. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think that the first time I read that, um, after getting a picture of the word as God's creative action, I started to get the first inklings of a sacramental worldview. Um, I started to get this idea that God, through His Word, is not just saying something, He is being something. <laughs> so this relationship of Word to Sacrament began to sort of brew in my mind. Um, and I couldn't articulate it, I couldn't place it. Uh, all I knew is that it was a weird thing for my communities who aren't Catholic to do Communion all the time. Uh, what what did it mean? Um, what did it mean for the person in my, um, we'll just say, Free Methodist Church, you name the church, any church I've ever been a part of, for them to hand communion to me and say, the body of Christ. Um, Because that's what they say. They don't say, this represents the body of Christ. You can't go to a Baptist church and have somebody say, this represents the body of Christ. They say, (laughs) the body of Christ. (laughs) Um, And to understand that God's creative word is not just a description of. It's not just a description, it is a a, a pronouncement of that which is. Um, the Word is God. Um, so when Jesus speaks to us and says, you know, this is what you are to say at communion, you are not just describing something, you are enacting something as the priest. Uh, This is this is actually happening. Um, This is being made present. Um, You know, it's one thing. uh, I've described this in CCD classes before. If I were to go up and draw the Batman symbol on the blackboard, (laughs) you know, the bat signal that flashes in the sky, nothing would happen. But if Commissioner Gordon goes on the roof and he flashes it in the sky, and only if Commissioner Gordon does it, Batman will become present. (laughs) <laughs> because Commissioner Gordon is invested with a certain relationship uh to Batman that makes the certain form of communication make a unique form of Batman present, so to speak. Uh the priest has that relationship because of what happens mm-hmm. at the Last Supper, because Jesus invests them with that responsibility. Uh invests them with the ability to forgive or retain sins through the power of their words. Um, to make and unmake, to bind and unbind, uh, it's a powerful concept when you think of Jesus as the Word. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's its really hard to get your head around.
0: Uh, and, uh, uh, and I'm thinking that's why, to a certain extent, you know, John struggled with his description here as he opened it, trying to describe the mystery and the beauty and the profoundness of the Incarnation but it's beyond our senses. And so the difficulty of that. We're going to take a break now, Matt. We'll come back in just a moment. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grody, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network.
1: Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for Wings, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the Wings link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your Wings today.
0: Next time on Sunday Night Prime with Father Benedict Groschel. Are you planning a journey to Lourdes? Would you be willing to help others on their pilgrimage? Join Father Benedict as he welcomes Marlena Watkins, Father Jeffrey Keefe, and Barry Vaughn to the show. They'll discuss volunteering at Lourdes. That's on the next Sunday Night Prime, only on EWTN.
1: Sunday Night Prime is seen and heard around the world on EWTN. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com.
0: CH Resources is excited to offer you Marcus Grody's
2: latest book, Thoughts for the Journey Home. If you're not Catholic, but are looking seriously at the Catholic Church, or if you've recently entered the Church, this book will provide you with wisdom and encouragement for the journey. And if you're a lifelong Catholic, it makes a great gift for
0: family and friends you're hoping will come home. To order a copy, visit our website at chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Hello, I'm Marcus Grodi, and we're here in Ottawa, Canada. Please join us on the next episode of The Journey Home when we talk to Canadians who've come home to the Catholic Church. Join Marcus as he welcomes revert to Catholicism Terry Hattie to a special Journey Home program. That's The Journey Home here in Canada on EWTN, your global Catholic network.
1: The Journey Home is seen and heard around the world on EWTN. For dates and times in your area, log on to
0: EWTN.com. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grody. I'm joined today by Matt Swaim. Before we continue our discussion, Matt, I want to remind the audience of an event that's coming up in July that they want to make sure they put on their calendars. That's EWTN's family celebration this summer at Birmingham, Alabama, July 23rd, 24th. This year's theme, 30 Years of Faithful Service. If you come, you'll hear inspirational talks by EWTN hosts, and uh, clergy, including Father Mitch Pacwa, Raymond Arroyo, Father Bender Cushell and others, a a good gathering at the the family celebration. You can attend Mass, spend time in adoration. Children can learn and have fun at EWTN's Faith Factory featuring Pete the Penguin. You can be a part of a live show audience on EWTN's television and radio networks, and it's free. So make your summer plans now. Log on to EWTN.com or call 205-271-2989 for more information. Matt, the the scriptures you've chosen, uh, all three, really strike me as connecting with something that I find fascinating, and that is that, to a certain extent, some of the most important aspects of our faith are deep mysteries that we truly can only know by revelation and we cannot discern or prove through our senses and that's one of the reasons that private interpretation is a cacophony of of, uh, conflicting voices. Mm. Um, If we look at John 1, we see in there the creation of the world by the Word of God. Well, we can't prove that by our senses. We have to accept that as true. But how is it? There's no way we in our, in our senses, our, our vision, our hearing, our touch, can truly understand that the world was created ex nihilo, out of nothing. It's impossible for us to understand how that was done, how God did that. And the second aspect of John chapter 1 is the issue of the Trinity. God the Father, the Word, the, the Spirit hovering over the water, the life of God, the light of God, all of that. Again, we it's hard for us to understand that through our human experience. And so we have to accept that through revelation to be true. And again, you know, you were brought up Methodist, I was brought up Lutheran. Uh, you mentioned the the Disciples of Christ, different ways of understanding. Some of them are not even Trinitarian. You know, how to understand these great mysteries of the Church, and even as you were describing them, Matt, they're not always easy to describe.
2: Yeah, and I think that the Methodist impulse that at least I had, and this is not true of all Methodists, obviously, uh, is there's this of pragmatic impulse um, to categorize things just right. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I I guess contrasted with maybe the kind of inquiry that maybe St. Thomas Aquinas would have had, which is just to, as G.K. Chesterton says, just to poke your head into the heavens rather than to try and fit the heavens into your head. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As it were, because the guy who tries to fit the heavens into his head, his head's going to explode. And I, I think that Catholicism has uh, certainly helped me to understand my faith is more of a mystery, a one that doesn't necessarily have to be solved. Um, because if, if you're if you've got a good mystery, then at the end you're not going to have figured it out. The good mysteries are always the ones that blow your mind at the end that you think to yourself, "Wow, I could have never have thought of an ending as great as this." <laughs> um, the lousy mysteries are the ones that you can see coming the whole time. <laughs> uh, so the idea is to immerse ourselves in the mystery of the faith because the ending is better than we could possibly conceive, rather than to try and thwart the storyteller by you know, guessing his game ahead of time.
0: Yeah, I, I think the mysteries of our faith should draw us to humility, yeah. should cause us to recognize um, you know, the, the inadequacy of our human condition blinded by sin and so it should draw us to our knees so and, and to be thankful for what glimpse of the beauty of god truth we've been given is a gift of grace so like in this passage it's it's jesus christ and understanding him as the word that was in the beginning that was with god that was god through him all things. I mean, that, that's beyond our ability to understand. Yeah. When we, have the, well, I... when we have the arrogance to insist that we do, then we end up in the Jehovah's Witnesses, which have a, a different translation of John 1, or the, the Mormons that have a different understanding, or the, the Oneness Pentecostals that have a different understanding. You know, there's the idea that I, with the Holy Spirit in me, I can understand it all.
2: Me and Jesus got our own thing going,
0: Yeah,
2: (laughs) as the Tom T. Hall song says. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, that there's this balance um, that both uh, liberal theologians and even conservative uh, off-the-reservation Protestant theologians have, and that is this idea that because you can't comprehend God, you can't understand him. I mean, by comprehending, meaning yeah. you, can, you can't fit the whole of God into your mind, uh, so you can't understand him at all. Uh, we know that we can understand God, because he gave us, you know, as Hebrews says in various ways he spoke to us in days past, but in these days he has spoken to us through a son. So we can understand on some level, but we, we shouldn't make the mistake of thinking, oh, we, we can't comprehend it, therefore none of this is really anything other than just a, a bright fluorescent blur <laughs> you know yeah. we don't need to refer to god by masculine pronouns because we, we don't really know much about him he's just too big for us to understand no he has given us tangible uh touch points things that we can latch on to to help us to understand even if we'll never get to the bottom of him and we won't
0: well from the beginning of the church there's been that constant battle of people rejecting authority,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know. I don't need the church to tell me what's true, or a. I don't need a priest to uh, be a channel of God's grace to me. It's just me and God, and and so we end up with a thousand different voices, and we and the devil laughs, you know. And the second verse, which you chose, let me read this again because this gets us into another mystery, and that is the mystery of the Incarnation. You know, how is that possible? You know, But they're yet at such a key, a central uh, pillar of our faith. Let me read this from Matthew 1, 18 through 24. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. Now, Matt, I'm I'm assuming that there are a number of layers of this passage that you see differently now as a Catholic than you did when you were uh, at Asbury College.
2: I would say you have no idea, except I think you probably <laughs> do, <laughs> after this many conversations. Uh, this passage, aside from helping me to, uh, to understand the Incarnation, and we, we of course, uh, were talking about the Incarnation in John 1, even, <laughs> this is a lot more of a concrete explanation here in Matthew's Gospel, um, but this passage was probably one of the first times that I ever recognized the concept of typology. Um, you know, when when you read the Scriptures, or at least when I read the Scriptures before, I would read the Old Testament for prophecies, for how is this particular passage fulfilled or repeated or quoted in the New Testament, mm-hmm. then so that I can prove um, the, the coming of the Messiah. Uh, when I would have thought of prophecy in the Old Testament, I would have thought of it directly as related to the passion death and resurrection of Jesus, mm-hmm. of the incarnation of Jesus. This passage woke me up to the idea of typology and I don't even remember at this point uh, where it was that I read it for the first time, but I believe it was one of the fathers talking about the idea that hey there was this other guy named Joseph in the book of Genesis. He had a dream. he ended up in Egypt, he ended up, uh, you know, bringing people, uh, you know, bringing his, his, his people, his languishing people, uh, you know, to fruitfulness. And I thought, well, that's an interesting coincidence, but the more you dig in, the more you realize there is so much that's in the Old Testament that is imaged in the New Testament. And you can say that about Joseph, yeah, that's kind of a fun parlor trick. Uh, to point out the Joseph the Dreamer in the Old Testament and the Joseph the Dreamer in the New Testament and the Egypt connection. But once you start to get your head around the sacraments, something like baptism, you start to see baptism everywhere in the Old Testament from a typological perspective, in the sense that there are so many types of baptism in the Old Testament. The Spirit over the waters in Genesis 1, um, the flood that brings. Uh, death and new life, and the dove that announces that it's safe uh, when it's Noah uh, coming around. Naaman the Syrian. Jesus even uses that as a type of baptism. Uh, He quotes the passage of Naaman being asked to bathe in the Jordan um, to, 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 to cleanse himself. Baptism is just absolutely everywhere. The Eucharist is absolutely everywhere in the old testament once you start to understand this idea of typology that it's more than just prophecy it's typology there are types of the eucharist and the manna in the desert um, and i would have never have thought of the manna in the desert as typological even though jesus talks about it mm-hmm. using that language in john 6 um, talking about how your fathers ate the manna and they died you know whoever eats the bread of life will live um and You know, all through uh, the Old Testament, these passages uh, referring to bread and sustenance um, and how that's all setting the stage. I would have been more interested in, you know, the suffering servant narratives or, you know, the idea that not one of his bones would be broken uh, and that sort of thing. But the sacramental typology um, was really triggered by just this one little passage of the typology of Joseph the Dreamer in the Genesis, in Genesis, and Joseph the Dreamer in Matthew one. I think for so many Christians who are on the path to Catholicism, it, it, there's there's a key that unlocks, you know, sort of a treasure chest of things. And I don't know what what it was about this passage that helped me see um, the New Testament as such a fulfillment of the Old Testament in ways other than. Merely the incarnation, passion, death, and resurrection, but for some reason it just triggered a waterfall it's, of
0: realizations. It can be different for almost anyone on the journey. You know, for me it was First Timothy three fifteen: the pillar and foundation of truth is the church. You know, God uses mm-hmm. a variety of things. In a way, Matt, which is kind of funny here, if we talk about types, the story of the prodigal son and and the brother that stayed home are interesting from this. Another standpoint, and that is that what you're talking about, this typological understanding of the connection with the Old and the New Testament, this this was new to you and to me, because we were a part of a history that had rejected that centuries ago. And so we're like prodigal sons, We, we, we discover this new thing. Whoa, this is neat and new to us that Catholics have known for 2,000 years. However, there are Catholics like the big brother in the prodigal son story, that they've been in the church all their lives and are also a bit blind to it because sometimes they take it for granted. So sometimes a convert like you, Matt, that helps even Catholics appreciate the connections between the Old and New Testament that have been understood for 2,000 years, but maybe we take them for granted. And for you yeah, well, and me, Matt, I didn't see them either. And I feel like I'm discovering something brand new. I want to sh- tell the world. And. Half the world says, "Well, duh, it's been there."
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that's that was uh, uh, completely my experience Uh, with with all of this. Is is people are saying, "Well, yeah, of of, of course, bread of life, this, you know, Eucharist, that, manna, you know, all these words." Yeah, we 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 know. What are you talking about? You know, what's the big deal? (laughs) Um, But the the verses that I've chosen today to talk about, Marcus, you'll notice that they're not really apologetics
1: verses.
2: They're not really. like math problems, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to, mm-hmm. to calculate the difference between Protestantism and Catholicism. For me, it was more of a way of seeing. Yeah. Um, it wasn't so much, uh, you know, nuts and bolts. As a matter of fact, I grew up in the Bible Belt, and I didn't know any Catholics until I was in my early 20s and moved to Cincinnati and discovered this strange thing called cradle Catholicism and cultural Catholicism. And I thought, what in the world is this? I thought you guys died in the 1500s. Um, so I didn't understand uh, that there were people who just, this is the way that they were supposed to see. Um, for me, getting this incarnational worldview um, just. Opened my eyes to the scriptures in a way that, that, I, that I was always confused um, forever after uh, when people would say that Catholics don't appreciate the scriptures, um, when Catholics don't have an understanding of the Bible, Catholics don't this or that or the other when it comes to the scriptures. Because as a Catholic, this stuff just jumps off the page at yeah. me in ways that it, it, it just you know just sort of mildly warmed the cockles of my heart before
0: and sometimes it's because of what you're looking for my guess is matt that like my background in the passage we just read the thing the, the thing that jumps out at us is verse 23 behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son his name shall be called emmanuel because that is a fulfillment of the old testament and that's what was important but i didn't appreciate mary yeah or joseph and their place the types the connection the flow of the entire salvation history centered around mary and joseph which is what you're saying it depends on what you're you're going to see in this passage now matt we're going to take another break we come back i'm going to just let you know if you got any more comments in this passage and we also can jump to the luke 24 passage with the time that's left all right sounds great you're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grode. I am joined today by Matt Swaim, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic Radio Network.
1: The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International, or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org or contact us at one 800 664 Five one
0: one zero. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host Marcus Grody, joined today by Matt Swaim. Matt, the the reason I mentioned it that way before the break is uh, um, you've got another passage, Luke twenty four. I want to make sure you had a chance to focus on the theme for the Matthew first passage you're content with that before we move on
2: um, i'm happy to move on because uh, the the third passage may be one of my favorite in the entire gospel
0: so. okay sweet let's uh... let me read luke twenty four verses thirty through thirty two when he was at table with them he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished out of their sight and they said to each other did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures. and Of course, this was the Gospel reading for last Sunday, uh, so it connects right now, it was yesterday. But also, I, that phrase, and our hearts burned within us, sounds a little Wesleyan to me, too. <laughs>
2: Just a little bit. I mean, you know, John Wesley, of course, had his heart, as he puts it, strangely warmed on a <laughs> missionary visit to the United States, and that really kind of triggered the Methodist movement, and uh, at least, the, the well, especially the revivalist aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people, Talk about this in a eucharistic sense—that they recognized uh, Jesus in the breaking of the bread—and that's something that I, you know, take to heart every time I see right. uh, the consecration take place in the altar, recognizing Jesus in the breaking of the bread. Um, uh, you, but but what's happened here is that you've got, first of all, you've got an image of the Mass um, in a way that I never had seen before. Because what do you what do you see? You see Jesus walking the road with these two disciples of his on Emmaus on the day of his resurrection. And what does he do? He opens the scriptures to them, and then he breaks the bread. The liturgy of the Word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. That's right. Um, <laughs> it's an image of the Mass. It's a typological image of the Mass. Uh, and, and, and you've probably had a thousand guests mention that, uh, so I don't want to belabor that. Oh, not point. at
0: all. Go ahead. But,
2: <laughs> <laughs> but what belabors me is to talk about the idea of their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Mm-hmm. Marcus, I don't know about you, but as a Protestant, would you have ever prayed with your eyes open?
0: <laughs> you know, that's funny you mentioned that because uh, it was one of the things I noticed when I became a Catholic, how many Catholics pray with their eyes open.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, didn't it freak you out a it little did. bit? It
0: did. It did. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Because yeah. Yeah, I had never thought. Uh, you know, you you go to a mass, you go to some Catholic gathering, and people pray with their eyes open. I thought it was the most disrespectful thing I'd ever seen. At first, <laughs> I thought, you know, what are you, what are you people doing? <laughs> you know, don't you understand this is a private moment? Uh, you know that uh, you're supposed to be reverent. I thought it was just so irreverent. Um, and and so this idea of these two disciples essentially praying with their eyes open. Um, <laughs> You know breaking bread with Jesus with their eyes open and their eyes are opened because their eyes were open um, this really I think for me was sort of the go-to verse when it came to my own heart's understanding of prayer as not just a, a retreat into oneself mm-hmm. but as uh, an embrace of of the externals of um, Uh, as aids to worship. Um, That the idea that our senses are good, because Jesus speaks to us Mm -hmm. through them. He speaks to us through that which we can see, um, through that which we can taste and touch. Um, And these disciples had such a sensory experience with Jesus, and that the idea that their eyes were opened is just kind of the icing on the cake here. Because what have they done? They've experienced him. Not as some sort of just strange warming of the heart that's there, right? Mm -hmm. Their hearts were burning in with within them. But how did they realize, how were they able to articulate that burning of the heart? Because Jesus had opened the scriptures to them and had broken bread with them. You know, there's this... We all have, as Augustine says, these restless hearts. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's one thing you just have restless heart syndrome, and it, it, it manifests itself a lot of ways, like restless leg syndrome, just this itch to move, and you can't explain it, you can't figure out how to stop it, and you don't know what in the world to do about it. I mean, this is why we have a culture that's so spiritual, but is like, it just bristles with the idea of religion. Um, Jesus knows how we're wired. He knows we need to see him. Uh, we, he knows we need to taste him, to touch him. Um, because there, these people who were on the road to Emmaus knew the scriptures.
0: Yeah. They knew them. And they knew, him. They, and they they knew, knew him, him.
2: Inside and out.
0: I think it struck me for the first time this last Sunday when this gospel passage was read. I've heard this not only many, many times, but I preached on it back when I was a Presbyterian pastor. But I don't think it struck me until this Sunday I heard it when it said in verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Yes. And then in verse 31, and their eyes were opened. It wasn't something they did. It was the work of grace.
2: Yeah, that's a passive verb there, were opened. Yes. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a crazy thing to think about. Uh, and, and when we talk about the kind of, of worship that, that we're involved in, I think of liturgical prayers or even devotional prayers like the rosary. Um, what is the rosary about? It's seeing Jesus through Mary. Uh, it's not just about asking for stuff, <laughs> as, <laughs> right. as so many spontaneous, closed-eyed prayers of mine have been over the years. Um, opening those eyes makes you realize—you know—provided that those eyes are focused in the right direction, makes you realize that there's something greater than you, um, greater than your own need, greater than the thing that is vying for the most of your attention and worry. Um, but, but yeah, that, going back to that idea that you know he says to them in verse 25 how foolish you are it's slow of heart to believe all of the prophets have spoken they knew what the prophets had spoken um, so scripture alone for them didn't do the trick
0: or the spirit Christ that was in the d- eucharist the yeah. spirit that was dwelling in them because we believe that in fact they had been baptized and that they knew our lord jesus and uh, But that wasn't enough. And you know what else wasn't enough? Enough time for this program, Matt. (laughs) As always. Oh, you know radio. So uh, first of all, let me thank you. What this means is you're going to have to have you back sometime, all right? Uh, I guess so. All right, Matt. Well, thanks for joining us today and for your, your thoughts on these passages.
2: Thank you very much.
0: And thank all of you for joining us. I hope this time with Matt has been encouragement to you to love his word and to love our Lord. God bless you. See you next week.